Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Author Leslie Tenorio's debut novel, The Son of Good Fortune, tells the coming-of-age story of a young, undocumented son living in the United States who was born during a flight between the Philippines and San Francisco. The son, named Excel, like the spreadsheet, explores his struggle to avoid calling attention to himself, even as he forms relationships, leaves his home in the Bay Area city of Colma for the first time, and attempts to survive away from his mother on his own. The book is a follow-up to Tenorio's 2012 story collection, Monstrous. Welcome to Forum, Leslie Tenorio. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. I felt like Excel was such a perfect name for your character because, <laughs> I mean, he is sort of empty cells in some ways without yeah. substance sort of filled in by others. What was behind, you know, creating this type of a character? Right. Well, first of all, the name Excel, um, it took a while to figure out the name of this character, but Filipinos are known for coming up with these names that suggest a kind of uh, grandiosity or, or sense of great aspiration. I remember growing up with kids named Beethoven, uh, Mozart, things like that. And I thought, well, if I have this character, this young man who's 19 years old, undocumented, who really has to live on the fringe, but has a name that suggests aspiration, uh, that was an interesting tension to me. Um, and I wanted to create uh, a young, undocumented man who, who, in a way, doesn't necessarily strive for all his name suggests. He just wants to strive for what most of us strive for, which is living your life, paying your bills, being able to live in the open. Um, that kind of ordinariness and striving for that ordinariness um, was something I was interested in exploring and, and, and hopefully crafting a, an, an intriguing drama around that. Yeah, well, it was a very fun and intriguing read. And it's interesting that you talk about sort of the striving just be, to be able to have a good life. And and also, I think the fact that you have him being born on a flight between the Philippines and San Francisco, how hard it is to do that when you have no grounding. I mean, essentially, you made this character stateless. Why did you do that? Well, I thought... You know, as a writer, as 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 a first generation, you know, immigrant, um, I you know I grew up uh, in an immigrant household. Um, I th that question of home and that question of belonging has always interested me as a writer and as a human being. And I thought an undocumented individual is always struggling with that question. And just to raise the stakes, I thought, well, if Excel is an undocumented individual um, 
who really doesn't have a sense of place? What if he really was born on a plane? And it's a phenomenon that has actually happened in the past. When you're born on a plane, that sense of you know where you belong um, in your heart and, and 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 legally is is always in question. So to have him born in the sky above the ocean, as as his mother Maximus says, just felt like thematically and dramatically the right choice. And you bring up Maxima, the mother. And one of the things that I really liked about your book was how much you do, this book is centered around their relationship because um, I have read a lot of books or interviewed uh, people who've written memoirs who are immigrants or have immigrant parents. And there's always, I feel like, some allusion to the mom <laughs> in some yeah, way yeah. or another. <laughs> Inevitably, you know, like, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, immigrant moms, man. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but they are rarely developed, as a New York Times review said about your book, that writers too often resolve the first-generation parent's plight into a punchline or an obstacle for her American children to overcome. But in this case, you really do make the center of the book their relationship. And uh, before I ask you to actually read a, a passage, a passage, if you would, from The Son of Good Fortune. I'm wondering, you know, what was the inspiration behind the mother character, behind Maxima, who's basically like a former, you know, low-budget action movie star. She likes yes. to consider herself a Filipina Michelle Yeoh. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, you know, in, in the immigrant narrative, you often have, you know, as you said, uh, the presence of the immigrant mother who is often portrayed as fierce but stoic and, and doesn't really externalize a lot of emotion until, you know, a pivotal plot point in the story. And I think for me, Maxima was a response to that. It was important for me that Maxima be emotionally and psychologically strong, but I really wanted to embody her her physicality i wanted i wanted to give her a strong formidable presence so that not only is she emotionally strong but she's physically formidable uh so to have this background of her as as a filipino b movie actress wannabe action star um just well one it felt it was fun to write uh two it also it also felt right it was important for me that excel realized that the strongest person in his life, emotionally and physically, is his mother. And, uh, and that was certainly true for me growing up. My mother was emotionally and psychologically strong, but she was also physically strong. And, and I, that's something I haven't seen in a lot of immigrant literature. And I, I wanted to explore that possibility in the novel. We're talking with author Leslie Tenorio about, Tenorio about his latest book, The Son of Good Fortune. And Leslie, uh, would you like to read a little uh, from it? And if you want to set up um, what you're about to read as well. Sure. Um, so I'm going to read just a little bit from the back chapter. This is where Maxima tells Excel on his 10th birthday that he's undocumented. And as a way of sort of easing the, the blow of that revelation, she takes him to Pier 39 on Fisherman's Wharf. <clears throat> they stood side by side against the metal rail. You're 10 years old now, so I'm going to tell you something, Maxima said, and I don't want you to complain or whine or cry, understand? I don't cry, Excel said. She looked over both shoulders, making certain no one was nearby. We're not really here, she said. Who's not really here? You, me, us. We're not supposed to be here. Beware, he said. She paused like she couldn't name the place. America, she finally said. You and me, 
She bent down to meet his face. Our TNT. Excel pictured a stick of dynamite, the lit fuse, the explosion to come. It's what you call a Filipino who's not supposed to be here, she said. TNT. It stands for Tago Ang Tago. I don't understand you, he said. Tago means hiding, she said. Tago Ang Tago, hiding and hiding. We're not hiding, he said. We are, she said, always. That's Leslie Tenorio reading from his book, The Son of Good Fortune. And let me invite our listeners to join us. If you have questions for Leslie Tenorio, give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. Are you familiar with The Son of Good Fortune of his previous short story collection, Monstrous? Have you ever felt like you were living in hiding, as he just describes in this passage that he just read. And one of the things that I really liked about that moment is that you actually do write out the dialogue that I think we often imagine that would happen between a parent and a child when the parent reveals to the child for the first time that uh, they are undocumented. How did you come up with how to create this conversation? What what the dialogue would be? Yeah, that, that wasn't easy because you know, I myself have never had the conversation. I, I'm not undocumented, but I've certainly known and been close to undocumented individuals. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I certainly read interviews with undocumented young people, but at the end of the day, I, I really had to ground myself in who these characters were. And I thought, what what would Maxima do, you know, in order to to make this a little more uh, tolerable? Um, and you know the the story, or half the story, is is really set in Colma, and I really love the idea that you have this town on the fringe of one of the most famous cities in the world. So I thought, well, maybe as a special treat, just once they get to go to San Francisco and feel normal and play tourists on Pier Thirty Nine at Fisherman's Wharf, and just as he thinks he's feeling some sense of normalcy, she'll tell him, and that juxtaposition of this this you know, famous American tourist site with this revelation, with this information, it it felt right for these two characters. Well, this listener writes, Colma, a place often associated with dead people, provides an interesting <laughs> setting for much of the novel. Can you talk about how and why you zoomed in on Colma? Right. Um, Colma just seemed like the, the right place for these two individuals. Uh, again, the, this idea that you have this small town on the fringe of San Francisco, a town that's, as the, as the uh, writer said, uh, is, is famous for its cemeteries, the dead literally outnumber the living. I thought, you know, in terms of theme and drama and, and, and emotion, having two undocumented individuals living in a place where the dead outnumber the living, it, 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 it seemed appropriate because there is a kind of ghostly existence when you can't live openly. So I thought Colma, given what it's famous for and given its proximity to the city, it just, it just felt like the right setting for the novel. And the, the fact that you you really make note of the two Target stores. <laughs> that, I mean, I, I too have been struck by how they are so close together. And that yeah. you actually had like the number of steps it takes from one to the other. Like, did you actually walk that? 
No, but I did, <laughs> I did Google. So I, I Googled the distance between the two targets and then found some kind of uh, formula online that would calculate the number of steps. Um, and that uh, I came up with that number, or that's what that's what the, that's the number that I, that, that the little generator uh, came up with. Well, I really think it, it underscores your effort to, to, to show how sort of truly remarkable people, right, can live in such, um, I think, overlooked circumstances, kind of like how, you know, the, the idiosyncrasies of Colma can, can be viewed as, as totally just dis, dismissible, for lack of a better word, or also really quirky and interesting with a story behind it. And you've said that you make, you, you make putting Filipinos in your book part of of showing that they are such an integral part of the American reality. And I wonder if some ways the ordinariness yet the remarkableness of your characters in The Son of Good Fortune, that those are parallels. Mm -hmm. They are, they are. Um, you know, I, I, well, for one, I think it's the job of the fiction writer to make the ordinary extraordinary and vice versa. Um, that's, that's what fiction is, is meant to do. And with the lives of Filipinos, Filipino immigrants, Filipino Americans, uh, it's, it's important to me to show how they function on a day-to-day -day level in America, because w we have been here for so long, but we're often overlooked in you know, various forms of media. Um, but to be part of that day-to-day -day machine that this country is, uh, it's important for me to show that, but it's important for me to show the various ways that happen. So um, Excel and Maxima are not super immigrants. They're not ultra citizens. <laughs> they are undocumented individuals who you know, endure very mundane things, but also live in these remarkable ways. Uh, true, they, they, they might be unethical. Maxima, in order to get by, is an online scam artist. She scams American men into falling in love with her online and wiring her money. But it just, my hope is that that reveals just how human she is. She's flawed like any of us in ways that are ordinary and, and in ways that are extraordinary. Well, the listener asks, is TNT a common acronym or is that something you came up with for the novel? It's a common acronym. And uh, the other aspect about the structure of the book is is you cut sort of back and forth in time. Yeah. And I was wondering how you landed on that structure. That was really hard to do because uh, we've certainly seen it in, in many, many novels, but uh, I, I'm always concerned about that superficial back and forth jump in time. Uh, but after a while, after working on numerous drafts, I realized, you know, once you settle on a pattern in terms of the structure, if, if you write it well and persuasively, a reader will acclimate. So once I decided it was okay to jump back and forth in time and just committed to the structure, um, it almost just became second nature. At a certain point, I stopped thinking about those time jumps and it, it just became the way the novel and the story was meant to be told. And how was it to write this first novel? I mean, your last book was a short story collection you know, did you, was it harder, easier than you anticipated it would be? You know, I, I quickly learned that the short story is not a training ground for the novel, <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least not for me. Um, so it really felt like a completely different uh, endeavor. And I also realized with the novel, because I'm committing to a small group of characters for 
you know, a greater number of pages, I, I really had to live with these characters. I really had to live with the story and figure out where it went. And of course, when you're doing that, real life is happening. So, um, yeah, I lost my mother during the writing of the book, and that certainly mm. uh, stalled things. But it also put into greater focus uh, what the point of the book was, which is to to really, it, it's a, I think it's really about Excel understanding his mother and it's really about being a son and what it means to be a son we 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 know you know we're familiar with the word childhood but for me i think this book is also about sonhood and what that means to excel um and i think after many years that really became the the focus of the book for me yes you have written about how in a way this was a tribute to to your mother did you actually alter pretty significantly the path you had thought you were writing for Maxima um, after your mother passed? Um, yes. Yeah. Um, well, in, 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 in the earliest drafts of this novel, the mother only existed, and her name wasn't Maxima at that time, the, the mother only existed in flashbacks. She was she had passed away in, in, in the book. Um, but when I decided it was going to be about Excel and Maxima, really in the present time story, um, I think a lot of it was about the tensions between the two characters after losing my mother, I think, I, I think her, her passing put more into focus this question of what will Excel realize or fail to realize about his mother. That's that, that was a really important question for me and, and for the book. And so you know, coming up, and it, it took a long time to come up with the title, but coming up with the title, The Son of Good Fortune, just getting the word son in the title, once we decided upon that, it, it felt absolutely right. Well, we have uh, a listener question that's following up on TNT. The listener writes, can you talk about the shame within the Filipino community about the status? Those who aren't TNT look down on those who are? Sorry, we just no, have I a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that varies from, from family to family. Um, it's definitely something that, you know, in my experience, knowing undocumented individuals, it's definitely, it, it was definitely something that wasn't discussed too openly, but it was discussed sometimes. It was kind of like, you know, I guess you want to say an open secret, but just not too open. Um, but uh, I would imagine, you know, it varies from family to family. Well, Leslie Tenorio, thank you so much for writing this book, uh, oh, The Son you. of Good Fortune. It was really great to read. And, and as I mentioned uh, on social media, just so nice to be able to talk about a novel <laughs> that's, oh. that's fun and situated uh, you know, near my home and, and, and really does look at this relationship with your immigrant mother. I'm wondering if there's anything you want to say in our last 30 seconds about what you hope the book will achieve if there's another novel right now in the works. Right. Um, well, I'm still trying to figure out what the next book is. I'm, I'm anxious to return to the short story. Um, but, you know, I, I do hope that the novel shows that the life of an undocumented individual is complex, it's challenging, it's also exuberant and can be joyful and hopeful. Leslie Tenorio, the son of good fortune. Thank you so much. Really appreciate thanks talking so much. With you. Yeah, and thanks to Blanca Torres for producing today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments, and thanks for listening.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.